When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of Common Sense. It is, of course, the one and only Talk Radio. It's a big day for Boris Johnson as he seeks to reinvent not only himself, but the entire country. After three days of a pretty feel-good conference in Manchester, he's addressing the Tory party faithful with talk of getting on with the job, levelling up the country, building up the minimum wage and reconstructing the economy. And whatever you say about the Prime Minister, uh, he does exude a kind of Teflon confidence, doesn't he? Yesterday he even suggested that the government was not responsible for fixing everything for people. The first proper Conservative value he has rallied behind for quite a long time. But as Philip Johnson said in the Daily Telegraph this morning, the Tories can hardly believe their luck. Whether it will last is another matter. This morning, we'll be hearing from Casey Perry, a former communications chief for Theresa May, and Boris, of course, about his big set-piece speech. And she's already making headlines this morning for being spotted dancing with Michael Gove last night. I mean, is there anybody who hasn't danced with Michael Gove? Any chance he'll mention the French? I think you can bet your bottom euro. Uh, people are talking about war uh, across the channel. I think that's probably slightly overrating the pudding uh, or the souffle, whichever you prefer. Uh, but the French are being rather ridiculously French about the fishing dispute, threatening to pull the power away uh, from the Channel Islands once more. Uh, Boris will take to the stage around midday. Before that, we'll be crossing live to Jamie Jenkins in Wales, where they voted through vaccine passports last night by a margin of just one after a Tory Assembly member wasn't able to make his Zoom link work to vote against it. It's all looking a bit suspicious, but what will it mean for the rest of us? Tonya Buxton's also here to talk about that, and we'll be asking her about the Boris approach to business. Can his vision of a high-wage, low-tax economy actually work? Rishi Sunak gave us his version of it on Monday, but it's all a bit sparse on detail, isn't it? I mean, how is it possible that we're all going to be paying more for things, people are going to be paid more to do the work that they do, and somehow everything's going to work swimmingly. If you're in business for yourself now, how are you coping with the rising prices and the inflationary pressures of running everything? 0344 499 1000. We'll also be talking to Dame Esther Ranson about the social care situation. As Sajid Javid said yesterday, it should begin at home. The state should not always be the first port of call for families with elderly relatives. I spot a bit of a pattern here. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, for those of you who don't find yourselves in the Westminster bubble, the conference season's probably a little bit of a distraction because you're too busy uh, trying to feed your family, trying to get petrol for your car, trying to make sure that uh, uh, life is going as well as it possibly can be. But this is a big moment today for Boris Johnson. It's the first massive, really, speech that he's made uh, since becoming Prime Minister uh, back in 2019 in December. Uh, remember Thursday, the 12th of December, leading into Friday the 13th, the massive majority of 80. He's been making a lot of interesting noises about the future, not only for the government, but also for the country. Let's talk now to Casey Perrier, former director of communications at number 10 with Theresa May, but she also worked with Boris uh, when he was mayor of London, of course. Katie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, you're sounding and looking pretty good considering how late you were up last night. 
Uh, yeah, I think I've had about two hours sleep, but that's what <laughs> party conference is all about. Sleeps for wimps. Uh, we were too busy on the karaoke. Yes, and the dancing. I see that you were uh, uh, you and Tom Tugendhat were sort of uh, double timing with uh, Michael Gove. He's quite a mover, Mr. Gove. <laughs> yes, he had us all spinning around the dance floor. Uh, we probably had about six or seven cabinet members on, on our dance floor at our party in House Communications last night. It was really good fun. Yeah. Uh, there is quite a lot of hard work that goes on at conference. It isn't all party, Mike, I want to assure you. Mm. Oh, listen, I know that your party is almost the, the, the must-have the must invite whenever anybody goes, um, but I'm not sure I've got the strength for it anymore for all this sort of socialising and partying, so that's why I wasn't there. But never mind, I'll catch up with you for lunch one day. Let's talk a little bit about today, because Boris seems to be manoeuvring himself into quite an interesting position, where he said yesterday, you know, you shouldn't expect the government to fix everything for you, which I think is the first proper conservative thing he said for quite a long time. I think that's right, and I think that's something that he's trying to manage expectations. He realises he's only got a few years left until the next election. He cannot possibly get everything done that is on his plate, and so he has to take choices and take priorities, and he can't achieve everything. He, you know, He's turning around saying, look, the state is not meant to be there for you all the time. We did this really strange thing during a once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic where we paid your wages. You cannot rely on us like that in the future. This is time to get back out to work, find new opportunities, find different ways of working uh, and, and, and move on and I think he's trying to move the Conservative Party away from pandemic politics into what do we stand for and where is the clear you know, guiding line between the Conservative Party and the Labour Party come the next election. And that is the other thing because as uh, he attempts to move everything away from coronavirus and thank God for that by the way because it's about time um, he's painting a picture of a sort of high wage um, low tax economy and there's a lot of people who are a bit sceptical about that. And I can understand why they're sceptical, because I have some scepticism around how you can get there so quickly. I've always thought that if you want to move towards that kind of model, you need to move there slowly, you need to ease your foot off the pedal, uh, reduce immigration, because of course that's what people voted for. They wanted controlled immigration, and we do have that now. You have the control to be able to let in more people if you wish, whether or not it's construction, whether or not it is in abattoirs, whether or not it's in care homes. We should be able to bring in people to the country if we need them. But indeed, not always uh, suppress wages, uh, and not be flooded with too many people if we feel that that's not something that the country wants. That is now in place, except I'm not sure the government is doing that properly yet. I do see where there are kind of many limitations and there are de there's demand that's outstripping supply when it comes to workers. I'm not sure at this time pumping up the minimum wage w while sorting out that problem, or not sorting out that problem yet, uh, is going to come, come to the solution they're looking for. I actually think there's a slow move towards that. And I can see a slight difference between what Rishi Sunak has said in his speech this week and what Boris Johnson's planning on saying later on today and I think maybe there might be some upset between the Treasury and number 10 on these issues. Yes indeed because apart from anything else it would seem to me that we found found ourselves in a position of losing um, various workers from the EU uh, and so now we're going to bring them back in it seems to be a bad idea to rely on them again because it'll just leave again and then we'll have another shortage surely it would make more sense to train up the people who are unemployed in this country uh, because there still are quite a lot of people unemployed if we've got all these vacancies why are they not filling them? 
Well, there's two problems there. First of all, that takes time. Uh, and if you need urgent, if it's a kind of, you know, you need a supply chain problem and we, we need urgent staff and support now, care homes are crying out for people, abattoirs crying out for people, lots and lots of different skilled labour that needs to come in. Um, uh, you need to do that now. And so you can plan for those skills. Don't forget, we've known about things like the HGV shortage as far back as 2016. Mm. So it's, it's OK to say now, oh, we should just be paying people more and training them. But we haven't done enough to replace those foreign workers with our own workers. And the second point there, Mike, is that people don't want to do the jobs. Uh, there are many jobs in this country that people don't want to do. There is a mismatch. There are people out of work and there are over a million jobs available right now. They are not fulfilling those mm. jobs. And it's not always because they are skilled, not skilled to do so. They don't necessarily want those jobs. And that's a problem. doesn't matter how much, many people you skill up, doesn't matter how much you pay, that there's going to be a change. It doesn't, doesn't always fix the problem. No, it doesn't. But that's a problem as well that should be able to, to, to be sort of addressed in some way by the government. Because I'm sorry if you don't want a job. But, you know, in America, you get six months unemployment pay and if you don't get a job after that you don't get any more so I mean you know that could be a bit of an incentive couldn't it it does and of course not everybody that it doesn't work is uh, on unemployment benefit and they sometimes are in one earning families whereas one person goes out to work one person stays at home so there are you know the, the figures are slightly misleading mm. I do think there is something about um, the kind of appetite that people have the, the skills reset there are a lot of middle-aged people that have been in work had a great career and suddenly found themselves without an income after um, the pandemic mm. they're coming off a of furlough now we don't quite know what's going to happen to them we don't know where they're going to end up and I think it's right that the government step in with the private sector to offer the right skills, the right training to get them back into work and in a career that they can choose. If you're in your mid-40s, you've got 20, potentially 30 years left in the workplace. You shouldn't be written off yet. No, well, I'm, I can happily say that as somebody who's left my 40s behind quite some time ago. But let's talk a bit about Boris and his speech today because you've been on the other side of the curtain, as it were, fixing up uh, for Theresa May's speeches, uh, which, which were two of the probably worst ever delivered to, to party conference. Although some people quite enjoyed the little dancing that she did when she came on uh, that one time. But when the letters fell off the wall and she had the coughing fit, I mean, you know, you must have been holding your head in your I hands. was responsible for the one before, Mike. I was responsible for the one before that <laughs> that no one remembers because it went smi oh, right. swimming. There well. we are then. <laughs> I heard you talking. But I also uh, on another, worked with I, Boris. I, I heard you talking on another station about how you were overruled by people who shall remain nameless uh, about a couple of decisions that, that you were making. Boris today says that he's going to be, or he's, they're, they're saying that he's going to be critical of some of his previous um, uh, prime ministers, including probably Theresa May. I think that's wise. Well, it's bold and he's only got a couple of more years left until the next election. So he better be able to deliver because that's a bit of a worry for Conservatives, MPs I've been speaking to at this conference. They're saying, look, we are, there's a difference between optimism and pessimism and realism. Uh, we've got to make sure that there's lots and lots of things that can be tackled in a quite short space of time. Mm. There are lots of challenges facing this Conservative government coming out of a pandemic. Uh, to be bold and say that previous Prime Ministers didn't get on with a job, um, I think that might leave some Conservative MPs a little bit uneasy. Yes, I think so. Because it'll also leave some people, presumably in the hall, a little bit uneasy. I mean, I don't know if Theresa May is going to be queuing up to see Boris if she thinks he's going to be slagging her off. 
I doubt it very much. I think that they probably leave Boris to it. But of course, Boris is, this is his best moment. He's brilliant at the set piece speeches. He goes out there. This is a rabble raising uh, opportunity to speak to the crowd that went out and knocked on the doors back in 2019 to get him into number 10 behind the black door. And he wants to go and say thank you to them. And that this the pandemic was just a moment in time where we had to pause business as usual. But we're back on it and we're going to go, go ahead and do the things that the public want us to do. Um, and so he, he will absolutely, doesn't matter what he says in that hall today, they'll be on their feet clapping and cheering. Oh, well, I mean, as Peter Cardwell was telling us, there's people already queuing up to get in, you know, a full kind of 90 minutes before uh, at least he, he even begins to, to think about speaking. And he does have this incredible um, sort of pulling power for a politician because most politicians nobody really cares about, right? Oh, look, right, right the way back when I was working for Boris Johnson in 2007, 2008, when I ran his London mayoral campaign, um, it was electric. I didn't, I've never worked for a politician before or since that has that connection with voters. They would run across the street. To, it was like a pop star. It was like a celebrity. Um, that's not normal. And, of course, that does spark some forms of jealousy mm. within the Conservative Party because some of the other MPs work really, really hard and don't get anywhere, don't get that kind of connection with the constituents and the voters in the way that he does. So he's really... Um, got a great crowd here while I was still at karaoke last night they were already starting up to queue to get in to go and see him this really? morning it's amazing isn't it and and it, it, when you think about the kind of the situation there's an awful lot of people that I speak to on this on this show uh, a lot of people who call in who say we're never voting Tory again we feel that we've been let down you know the border force isn't working the despite what Pretty Patel said the other day you know the, there's still people landing on beaches it's quietened down a little bit now because it's got a bit colder um, but you know they haven't done what they said they would do and yet he still seems to be getting away with it well, when you see the polling, what people are slightly grumpy about is the Conservative government not quite delivering on what they said they were going to do, but having some understanding that the pandemic was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. But that, that criticism doesn't really sit at Boris Johnson's door. He has this Teflon-like ability to kind of separate himself almost from 29 years out of 42 or 43 of Conservative rule. He's a brilliant at keep on reinventing himself. In London, as London Mayor, he was quite pro-immigration. He's about to stand up on the stage today and talk to you about how we must keep a lid on immigration and that's been kind of the root of all evil mm. in the last decade and how David Cameron was, was at fault for that and Theresa May mm. so he's got this amazing flexibility to move around each issue it's whether or not the public finally some, at some point get fed up with that or they keep on going on that journey with him well it doesn't really help does it that there's no opposition and Keir Starmer and the Labour Party conference was an absolute shambles compared to this I mean this has appeared to look like from the outside anyway a relatively smooth run operation Oh, very much so. And uh, But, you know, I think the Conservatives are just grateful to be back. We're grateful to be here. We didn't know if this conference was going to actually go ahead earlier on this year. So there's been lots of networking, lots of opportunities to meet new people, recognise some old faces, meet some new friends. Uh, and uh, it's been really busy and quite lively. And I think it's hugely optimistic. I wonder if we're here back in, in 12 months' time, whether or not they'll still have that air of optimism and enthusiasm, mm. or whether or not that it starts to bite yeah. as we go, go forward towards a general election. Well, I think, as you you say Boris does have this ability to kind of reinvent himself every so often it's almost like he he sheds his skin like a snake and becomes something slightly different and nowadays uh, he appears to be looking headlong into changing not just the Tory party but the whole country I mean he's been talking about you know transforming the country into a different place taking it forward I mean do you see this as as him kind of trying to make out we're entering a new era 
I think so. He wants to, this to be the Boris era. When he took over as mayor, London mayor, he didn't want to Kellingston kind of uh, era to carry on. He wanted to have the Boris bikes. He wanted to have that identity that linked him to the, the things that he wanted mm. to do in London. And I think that's very much a case of what he wants to do now. I call Boris Johnson the morph. Do you remember morph? I don't know if that's an age thing. Not everybody quite <laughs> remembers. The morph of British politics. Yeah. It can always mould himself into any scenario and come out on top and yeah. continue to do so. And how different is it uh, in terms of the atmosphere in the in the government, would you say, from when you were with Theresa May? I think it has changed quite dramatically. Um, there's always infighting between the silos in government. They don't work smoothly together. The system is actually quite broken. I didn't really like Dominic Cummings and what he did at number 10, but I agreed with him on some of the things he said. Not all of them, but some of them about the system of government mm. that does need reform. And maybe Michael Gove and some of the other reformers within the government uh, under Boris Johnson will go ahead uh, and make some of those changes. But I do think it's more collegiate. I think that they're working together. They're rowing in the right direction. The private office is side number 10 seems to be working quite well at the moment um, and uh, you know they know that they've got a big challenge but they've got the party on their side and so there'll be MPs in that hall today that will be on their feet cheering for Boris Johnson because they know that he makes them electable that they can have a potentially long time in their seat to make the changes they need they go and campaign for investment in their area he's someone that wants to spend more I'm not sure Rishi uh, quite agrees with him but he's someone that wants to spend more and um, you know they, they are proud to, to sit under Boris Johnson and, and get, let him lead their government and so I actually think that at the moment he's riding not high not only in the public polls but also within his own party mm. uh, and that's reflecting quite well behind the scenes as well. Yeah and I think people like somebody who is popular I mean it looks better for everybody. Stay where you are Casey if you will just for a moment we're going to come back to you with a couple of quick 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 fire questions before we let you go. This is Talk Radio across the UK online on DAB Plus and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Katie Perry, former Director of Communications at Number 10 with Theresa May. She also worked, of course, in the Mayor's Office with Boris Johnson too. Katie, as a businesswoman and as a um, uh, uh, someone who knows an awful lot of, of high flyers in the business world, Boris today, we think, is also going to say it's time to everybody uh, for everybody to get back to work uh, and to stop working from home. Um how has that affected business, do you think? And where is business right now in terms of sort of full capacity? I think it has affected business, but it's very much uh, industry by industry, sector by sector. Mm. So I think employers have been sensible on the whole around what they need, their needs are, but also we've changed. So in my office, we used to be nine to five or even later, but we were Monday to Friday. And now we are in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. We give the, we empower the staff to make the choices around the client needs that they have. And I think that's, that's made them feel trusted. Um, I've never felt that they've, uh, you know, swung the lead a bit or done something that they shouldn't have done. And, and so so we have a really kind of happy workforce and a balanced workforce. What I do think is that when I interview people, they turn up and they say as part of the interview process, what's your work flexible working like? I really want to work flexibly. Mm. And that's a challenge for employers because not every employee can do that. And not every employee can, can you know, trust the fact that a large workforce, everybody's doing what they said they're going to do. So it, it's flexible for small businesses when you've got your eyes in your employers and you, you know where they're at, that's fine. For a big 
corporates, that's a challenge. Of course, the Prime Minister is also going to stand up today and talk about the idea of minimum wage prices moving. Yeah. If care homes can't secure the staff at the moment, how are they possibly going to be able to afford it on things like minimum wage increases? Mm. So it's okay for employers like me, who uh, you know have skilled labour and uh, our staff are not, not on minimum wage, so that won't make much difference. But for some other organisations, they will have a bit of a sore head today and they'll think, Conservative Party, I thought the Conservative Party was the party of business, the party of wealth creators. They're making it harder for us, not easier for us to do that. And I think there is some concern uh, amongst business leaders today yeah. about that. And while obviously people would want to see minimum wage going up and people making a better living and making more money, that's going to have a knock-on effect on prices. We're already told this morning that the average family um, sort of household bill is going to go up about £1,800 in a year. That's an awful lot of money. It's a huge amount of money. This winter, people are going to be choosing between eating and heating. Uh, and it's all right for people at the Conservative Party conference who turn up in their nice cars and their nice suits talking about money and not really having care in the world. They don't know the price of things in the supermarket. They don't know about what it's like to budget uh, for a family. Mm. There's so many people in this country as well that are the working poor. They go to work. They are busting their gut. They're offering, often holding down more than one job. And yet... They are poor. They do not have. They can't afford the holidays unless they're on credit cards. If the exhaust falls off the car, they can't afford to fix it. And I think the Conservative Party needs to show they understand those people at home who are going to be struggling this winter uh, and under the price um, crunch that you just mentioned. Mm. Well, that's right. And also, he's still pushing on with this green energy agenda, isn't he? He still wants to be the kind of the man that that turned the world green. He wants to be the guy that everybody looks to uh, from every other country in the world as the man who did it first. And that's paying. He's making people pay a high price for that in terms of the pound in their pocket and that's where the crunch comes with uh, his chancellor rishi sunak because rishi uh, sees uh, the green agenda as something else on the kind of budget book uh, another line that he has to think about he's not absolutely bought in in the way that boris johnson is bought into this because he has lots of other competing mm. financial priorities and so i think that that might be the issue as we run up to the cop conference in november in glasgow uh, might be the issue that is causing some frictions between the two i think there's lots to admire boris johnson for for his green agenda for his real push uh, on making sure that we don't keep on polluting the planet and we make sensible choices. But they have to be affordable choices. So many families still can't afford an electric car, have, live nowhere near an electric charging point, can't afford to heat their homes all the time, are choosing what hours of the day to heat their homes because they need to be able to afford to feed their children at the same time. These are things, issues that are you know really pressing and mm. they're only going to get worse. Well, you know what a lot of people are doing that I'm hearing about uh, is they're, they're finding out whether they've got a chimney uh, and a fireplace in the house that might have been covered up and they're opening them up. Uh, so, that, so whatever he thinks is going to be happening as a result of his uh, challenge to go green, people are going to start burning stuff in a fireplace. Yeah, but that's really dangerous too and more polluting. And of course, if you do want a fireplace at home, you're meant to get a licence from your local council to do so. Mm. Um, and so there's a possibility that we're going to make matters worse, not better. It's like when um, local councils started charging for um, making you leave your rubbish out or um, a sofa out or something to come and take it away or charging you for garden waste. Yeah. We saw a massive increase in fly tipping. Yeah. So, you know, all these good ideas sometimes can have terrible unintended consequences and knock-on effects. But that's the problem as well. But we're also hearing that there's a sort of stealth tax coming that council taxes are going to go up by quite a large amount and that is going to be how the Tories pay for quite a lot of stuff. 
I think there is a real genuine pressure on living standards and this kind of talk about rising wages, which I don't think happens overnight, which I think is a steady, slow, progressive thing that the Conservative Party needs to be able to champion and campaign for and, and, and talk to business about. I'm worried that actually, that, you know, that's, that's, that's in the future. That's not tomorrow. And so tomorrow people are facing real terms crunch on their finances. There lots and lots of costs are coming in. Uh, there's going to be a difficult winter. If um, they've spent all of lockdowns inside and they're going out again, it's li highly likely they might need a GP appointment because they're picking up all kinds of different germs. Uh, they can't get a GP appointment. They're turning up in their droves to A&E uh, and the pressures are on. There are serious public service pr pressures on this summer uh, going into the winter. We saw uh, binmen aren't able to pick up the rubbish because eight, there's a shortage of HGV drivers and some of them went on strike as well. So I think there's kind of the winter discontent people talk about isn't as far-fetched as you might think. And mm. I think there's some real pressures for Boris Johnson. Yeah, and that, I suppose, is, is where the crux of the matter lies, isn't it? Because uh, there you are up in Manchester. You know, everybody's going to be cheering to the rafters today. He's going to be talking about this world, which is kind of in his head, as opposed to the one that's actually going on around him in the street. Well, Penny Mordaunt, um, a minister in his government, spoke yesterday. She said the difference in politics at the moment is the Labour Party that's pessimistic about the future and a Boris Johnson-led government that is optimistic about the future. The problem with that is, is that it's just words and, and you've got to be able to deliver on that opt optimism uh, and that enthusiasm. You can't just talk about it. And in politics, people get sick about politicians just talking and not doing. And Boris Johnson knows that because we, when he went for a second term as London mayor um, uh, to, to fight uh, against Ken Livingstone, um, he, he, well, I don't know, 2019, 20, sorry, 2021, yeah. um, he, he turned around, sorry, a little bit earlier before that, he turned around and said to people, look, I, I, I had a legacy in my first four years in, in, in London uh, and I want to finish the job that I started that's going to be very similar Boris Johnson knows if he wants to take this party into the next election he needs a legacy he needs something to show for it he needs to make sure he's built more homes he's become more green he's managed to raise living standards things like that and so he knows he's running out of time so he can't just talk he's got to start delivering yeah. well I mean we can go back to the old it's the economy stupid can't we if he gets that right a lot of people will vote for him because they'll be happy they'll have money in their pockets and they won't be uh, terrified of losing their home. But as Boris Johnson has pointed out today in some of the kind of words he's released ahead of his speech, the government cannot control everything. I think Robert Colville wrote mm. in the Sunday Times at the weekend that the, the kind of big secret in government is that it can't control everything. It doesn't, you know, what levers it has to push and pull are more limited than the general public might think. The petrol crisis is one example of that. You know, the dithered around bringing in the army, one way or another, I don't think the army is going to make much difference. It's a supply and demand issue. And so the government can't fix everything. So it may well be that there are some bold promises and it may well be that, that Michael Gove and other real reformers within Boris Johnson's team do make some significant progress. But when the government looks, or the, when the public looks to the government to solve everything, um, I think that that's a danger, a very dangerous place to be because it can't. Mm. And so I think it's very sensible for Boris to kind of set out that stall earlier. He's doing what they, we say in politics as managing expectations. Yeah, I think that's right. Casey, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for getting up so early uh, after being up so late. And uh, we'll see you soon. Katie Perrier, uh, former Director of Communications at Number 10, worked with Theresa May, worked with Boris Johnson, of course, looking ahead to his big speech. Uh, and the difference that he's going to make today uh, is really all about whether he can deliver what he says he wants to do. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Right now, though, let's move across to Wales because Jamie Jenkins is here, independent statistician, political commentator. A very strange thing happened last night uh, in Wales, in the Senate. Uh, basically, they had a vote on whether to introduce vaccine passports and they won that vote by one vote. However, there was one person, a Tory, who wanted to vote against them but couldn't somehow make his uh, link work over Zoom. So his one vote, which would have made it a tie, wasn't counted. So that, to me, sounds a little bit like jiggery-pokery. Jamie, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. And it does take a lot to get me kind of angry. And this is kind of kind of really irked me on this, because as you talked about there now, just for, for people who are not quite familiar with the landscape in Wales, mm. the Welsh Labour kind of back in the, the national trend, they've been in power in Wales now for over 20 years. They've got 30 of the 60 seats in, in the kind of... And there's very little opposition because they've already been in talks with Plaid Cymru, the nationalists, over a kind of cooperation agreement for the next kind of five years. So everybody thought this would be a formality, mm. but Plaid Cymru said they were going to come out and vote against these vaccine passports because they didn't like this workaround that you can have with lateral flow tests that can kind of get you around needing a vaccine passport. The Tories were against them, and we got one Lib Dem in, in the Senate who said they were against them. And then we had these farcical scenes because what happened, as you just alluded to there, Mike, was that we had all these kind of votes coming in. There was one vote in it. And, and the Tory kind of member of the Senate, Gareth Davis from Clyde, he was actually at the Tory party conference. Right. Uh, so the question is, what, what was he doing at the Tory party conference or why were they having a vote when the Tory party conference was on? He, they, we could hear the presiding officer as they were about to do the vote being told by another Tory member of the Senate that she was trying to get on and she's saying, no, 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 no. In her defence, Mike, she said that she'd made every effort to try and get that person in, including sharing her mobile number. But the kind of the important thing here is if he hadn't voted, it would have been a tie. And the precedent would have been then that the presiding officer would have had to have voted against right. the motion. So it would have been killed off. So I'm angry with the fact that this isn't about kind of anti-vax. I've had my both jabs. We've talked many, many months mm. about, you know, the impact of the vaccines is pro-choice. I am with this. But these vaccine parcels we talked about last week, there's no evidence for them. And this is just irks with me now with yeah. regards to what the hell's gone on. Well, I mean, what's the legal position? Because Richard Tice this morning is calling for the Tories to try and get some kind of injunction uh, on the Welsh government to stop them from carrying this through. Because it seems to me that you could certainly make an argument that the vote was not held properly. Well, there's that, Mike. You could also, I suppose, for a bit of balance, make the argument that why wasn't this Tory member of the Senate able to get on Zoom? It shouldn't be that hard. You right. know, I'm talking to you on Zoom now. I just clicked the button and I'm straight up with you. So yes. it shouldn't be that very hard. But to I get mean, you wouldn't things, if you but... hadn't been able to, you wouldn't be the first person who hasn't been able to get through to us because, I mean, it does happen from time to time. Um, but it's just yeah. rather unfortunate that it's happened in this very important vote. And it is an important vote, Mike, because even, you know, the nighttime kind of association in Wales now, they're asking for an urgent revote. There's nothing, I suppose, stopping kind of Welsh Labour bringing this back mm. and having another revote on it. But, you know, the chances of that happening are probably minimal. We've, there's, there's very little evidence. The reason kind of Plaid Cymru were against is they felt that we should kind of look at it in more details and actually test it all out themselves. The Lib Dems were against It's very rare, Mike, in, in Wales for all the opposition parties, in particular the Nationalists and the Tories, to kind of vote together on a kind of issue. And for this to kind of then get thrown out by this one kind of technical vote in, in a way it's just going to have a huge ramifications on the population of wales and and it's good that you're talking about it mike because i don't think outside of kind of cardiff or you know the four quarters of the senate very few people know what the hell went on last night well i saw that you tweeted out a bbc report from the news at 10 last night they didn't even mention it no um so the main headlines mike they um i'd like to, you know where they, the news at 10 kicks off and they give the, the the main stories of the day well 
it didn't even get a mention on that, but they did mention some Russian actress that had gone into space, which seemed obviously more important <laughs> than in, putting vaccine passports into the world. And then they did have a short uh, item on the BBC News then where they went to the, the Welsh correspondent outside the Senate who'd mentioned the fact that it was a very close vote did not mention at all the fact that he had all of the kind of this voting kind of fiasco. Now, I thought you, if you're going to report the news, the fact that this would have been killed off if somebody who said they wanted to vote. And remember, now, my this, this uh, member of the Senate had been on Twitter uh, several hours earlier, mm. stating his intent to vote against these. And so it was quite clear what they were going to vote for. For that to not even be part of the news story, you're just absolutely bonkers. Well, exactly right. And I mean, I haven't seen much from that particular uh, member of the uh, of the Senate this morning. I saw yesterday that he was saying he was going to vote against the vaccine passports, but I haven't seen him complaining this morning about the fact that he wasn't able to. Is he saying anything at all? I've not seen anything, Mike. I, you know, I think something needs to come, obviously, out from this. And, and, and the Tory parties in Wales are just saying that this was some technical issues, is a cross-party technical issues. But, you know, the, the, the kind of the people in Wales want some answers here. The, and not just that, his constituents will want some answers. And it seems to be very quiet with regards mm. to what's going on here. But, you know, it's going to have huge ramifications. They're, they're coming in in Scotland and they seem to be having issues with the past there. They're going to come into Wales. There's very little evidence on the mic. And, and I, I think... It's inevitable now. They're going to come in in England during the, in the winter months if the NHS gets overrun. And, and these things, you know, we need to step back and take a yes. look at what, what's the evidence. There is no evidence for these, Mike. Well, I think the problem that uh, that they're going to have in England is getting actually through Parliament because obviously it's difficult to know what Keir Starmer's going to do. But I think at the moment it doesn't look as though Boris Johnson could get it through because there's a lot of people on the back bench of, of the Tory party who will vote against vaccine passports. But what's also not clear, Jamie, is how they're going to be applied because I was listening to uh, somebody trying to explain it uh, this morning who was saying it's not very clear uh, which events are going to be in included, what's going to happen, say, for example, if there's a football match between Wales and a country from the, uh, the from the home nations, you know, are they going to need, uh, are the fans going to need to show some kind of vaccine passport? I mean, how is it all going to work? Well, that is another problem, Mike. I think one of the issues yesterday was the, the kind of the app that they were talking about. Uh, it also said for the Welsh people that it was valid in England, not mm. Wales, which, you know, the app is bonkers with regards. To it. And you hit the nail on the head there. That if you're coming into Wales, do you have to prepare for that by getting a vaccine passport? And the other thing they put in, Mike, is that they've said, because they're not calling them vaccine passports in Wales. They say they're calling them vaccine passes because what you can do is have a, a negative lateral flow test. And that's open to a huge amount of abuse as well, because... You know, who's policing these negative lateral flow tests? People could just put water on them and yeah. just say, oh, look, I've got a negative well, lateral see, flow I test. Well, I see from the so. Times this morning that uh, that Sajid Javid is looking at very possibly changing the way uh, people do these tests, that they might have to start doing them in front of a video screen uh, on a kind of conference call, because I think the fear is that so many people now uh, just do lateral flow tests without actually doing them. Well, and, and if you look at the number of tests that's going on every day, Mike, we're over a million when you put PCR and the lateral flow test together. So... Who's going to be um, standing on the other side, you know, for, to looking at these video conferences yeah, right. every single day? There's just far too many of them. It's, a, it's an ill thought through policy, Mike. They've been brought in. I think Welsh Labour thought they would get this through quite easily. They didn't expect this. And me, even maybe the Tory party in Wales themselves didn't expect yeah. kind of there to be this cliff edge with things. Mm. It's just absolutely shambolic, Mike. And I think, you know, as Richard Tice, you said, talked about this morning, 
I have viewed myself that there's potential legal action forthcoming on this and and something needs to happen, Mike. Yeah, it really does. Well, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Jamie, thank you very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician, political commentator. Absolute shambles in Wales uh, where somebody can't get onto a Zoom call properly so they can't vote as a result of which vaccine passports have now been approved in Wales. But nobody really knows when they're going to be introduced and how they're going to be introduced and who's going to be responsible for policing it all. It's absolutely and utterly shambolic, isn't it? 0344 499 uh, Tonya Buxton's going to be here. She's going to be talking about these vaccine passports as well. I'm pretty certain it's not going to happen in the UK, uh, in Britain, uh, overall. I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen, certainly in England, and I'm pretty sure it's going to fall apart in Scotland. But I'd love to hear from anyone uh, in that part of the world who is able to tell me if it is working at the moment. How exactly is it working? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Delighted to say Tonya Buxton's here on this beautiful, Morning. beautiful day, isn't it's it? It's lovely out there. It I really do love lovely. an autumn blue sky. So do I. Makes you feel good. It does. It makes you feel alive. Although I came on the tube this morning because my car's in getting a couple of things done to it. And there was a woman uh, with a mask. It was quite busy. A woman with a mask on, coughing continually. Into her mask? Into her mask. What a fool. And I'm thinking... That doesn't look like the right thing to do (laughs) at all. It really doesn't. It really does. And I was kind of not particularly worried by it because, you know, the window was open and the wind was blowing through and there was a lot of people not wearing masks. But there's still a sign on there saying you are required to wear a mask. The old signs that they should have taken off saying you are required to wear a mask to travel uh, on the underground. But it never stops if you listen. If you listen on the underground. And and you may face a fine. Yeah. I I travel by underground Mm. everywhere and uh, you still get these kind of... um, statements that say you know if you're traveling on the underground you have yeah. to wear a mask I had one and i on always bus. look at the cameras and go no i don't yeah oh, there's one, there was one on the bus <laughs> saying you know not please but where you must wear a face mask yeah yep it's completely ridiculous that's mad isn't it, it so it's not even is. legal now no so they're now actually going against the law and telling you to do something that is not actually required. But I think private businesses are doing that. There are certain places that you walk into, and as soon as you walk in, you are asked, can you put a mask on? Yeah. And I say no. Yes. And carry on. I know. I know. That's the thing. I mean, the problem is, right, that people now have got fed up with it. Some people will continue to wear masks for the rest of the time. Yeah. And they're very welcome to, as far as I'm concerned. I know you're not quite as tolerant as I am on that. No, I'm not. But if they want to, I don't really care. I think it's propagating the fear. Yeah, but I think if if you don't want somebody to tell you what to do what fair to enough do, then Absolutely. you shouldn't tell anybody okay. else and that's kind of where i'm coming from yeah. you know but the point is is that, that you know looking at what's happened in wales overnight with the vaccine passports i mean that is extraordinary isn't it i just can't go over it. and the thing is you know how do you stop yourself from from getting into some kind of conspiratorial theory yeah when this guy's trying to get through over zoom right um he's gone awol now hasn't he we can't find well, he hasn't him. said anything this he hasn't morning said which, anything. Is, which i find strange very very mm. odd and it was his vote on one vote how can you decide to put vaccine passports to a nation on one vote that didn't come through. I mean, it's really, it's wrong, it's sinister. You know how I feel about vaccine passports. They are completely illiberal and they make no well, sense. Well, kind of worthless they, as well, aren't they? Completely worthless, make no sense. And it's it's just about control. And, you know, in Scotland, they've got them, but nothing's going on, is it? And, and it's again, whoever, I mean, delegates come in to do political things. They don't have to do any of that. They don't have to have vaccine passports. They don't have to 
do anything. It's just about controlling the plebs, right. controlling me, controlling yes. us, the people. That's all it's about. Mm. And I don't understand. When I used to think of the Scottish and the Welsh, I used mm. to think of warriors that yeah. would fight for freedom. That's right. You know, death for freedom. Well, I mean, the Romans took one look over Hadrian's Wall and ran back the other way. I don't know what's right? happened. I don't know what's happened. What has happened? I don't know. To your ancestors, what's I don't, going on? I, I don't know. I can't believe that the Glasgow that I know um, has been able to be kind of conquered, if you like, by the SNP and their ridiculously kind of uh, draconian tactics. Because it wasn't like that even when I was living there. No, it's and so, that was only about twelve years ago. But this whole thing in Wales is is really odd. It, mm. it goes. It's so illiberal, and it's so not what we're about. Being being British, it's yeah. nothing. We don't exist like that. We're not part of the Iron Curtain. That's not how we want to live our lives. And I, how it's been kind of insidiously brought in, right. and it's falsely brought in because that vote should count. Well, surely the guy uh, or the the the, the speaker. Uh, I think it might be a woman. I'm not she sure. She didn't. She she wouldn't. Surely she, wouldn't she should have, have said. Um, because of this technical uh, fault, we won't be able to hold the vote tonight. Yes. We'll have to have it another time. Absolutely. Because there are two questions for her. One is, why were you holding the vote during Tory party conference? Exactly. And the other question is, why was this guy at Tory party conference when he knew there was a vote? He didn't need to be. No, so I'm not saying it's his but, fault, but, but, but you know what I mean? But it is the nature of things now that we do everything online and there's Zooms and things like that, and we've, we've come to rely on them. But if, if the technology isn't working and you can't put a vote through, yeah. then the vote is still worthy. It, ha it had to be paused yeah, and carried on so. later. Absolutely. I would have thought so. And so I it's very undemocratic. Well, Richard Tice this morning saying, surely the Tories should put out some kind of injunction or try and get some kind of injunction yes. to say we must repeat the vote. Absolutely. Because I think the Labour Party were quite surprised that it was ending up being that close. I yeah. think they didn't think that I think they thought, presumably they thought they were going to win it. I, I, I don't know if they did think they were going to win yeah. it. Because uh, a lot of people I, were coming out saying they were going to vote mm, against it. Right. it was, I thought but a it lot was, of people now are also asking me the questions about what happens if, say, for example, a football team goes into Wales to play a, a game in Wales. Are they supposed to provide vaccine passports, even though it's not required in, in England? And it's not required by diplomats. No. And uh, it's not required by well, politicians. Well, all the COP26 people are going <laughs> yeah. into uh, to Scotland and nobody's having to even, I think, uh, do anything. No. You know, all, all rules is, have been wiped for them. It is a farce. And what really blows my mind is that people are not, you know, just going crazy about mm. it. That people, very much like you said with the mask, you know, they just, oh, I'll do it for peace sake. Yeah. Everything's been done for peace. Do you know what you're losing right. for peace sake? Mm. I don't want to live in peace no. if that's what I'm going to lose. Right. I would rather live in a war, yeah. fighting for something that I believe in, Absolutely. than living in peace in a world that I don't believe yeah. in and I don't want to live in anymore. Mm. No, I agree with you. I mean, when I say that I don't mind if people want to wear masks, I don't like looking at them wearing the masks. I really don't. But, you know... Some people want to do it. I'm not going to stop because them. I, you know, Mike. We'll go, we'll go back to this again. But I, uh, there are a lot of people. There's kind of two types of people that wear masks. Isn't yeah. it? There's those that are kind of virtue signalling idiots yeah. who I have no time or tolerance for. I, yeah. I, I struggle to even try and and have a diplomatic conversation with them. I struggle with these people a lot. Mm. And there are those that the fear propaganda has worked so well on them. Who are actually frightened. Who are actually frightened. And I have a lot of time for those people because this government has had a campaign of fear against its people that has cost what uh, we know about 350 million mm. and so I have great uh, time for these people and I'd like to sit down and explain logically try and explain yes. to undo the harms that have been done and perhaps in time that will happen naturally anyway because they might actually see that, that perhaps you know that the, the numbers that we were told were going to but know, Mike they've continued this happening. campaign they've, yeah. they've continued they're continuing but you know to one of the things I've liked it. about I know but one of the things I've liked about this this sort of conference season is there hasn't been a big mention of Covid I mean everyone's out partying yeah. and we've got 
got pictures of Katy Perry dancing with Michael Gove. Michael Did you Gove see that? Dancing with Tom Tugendhat, you know. And I mean, the singing that was going on at the Labour Party conference. I mean, yep. how can these people now turn around and say, oh, you must wear a mask, you know, when you must you're wear a mask indoors. and you must wear a vaccine, you know, a vaccine passport, you yeah. know. So, I mean, it's just hypocrisy. Yeah. And I really hope that the British public wake up to it. But this is the only station. There's only a couple of mm. places that you will hear this conversation. Yeah. You don't hear this on Well, do you know, I've had a lot of tweets ITV. this morning saying nobody that I've seen this morning has even mentioned the Welsh vote. I, They're not talking about it. Incredible. Why not? Because it doesn't suit their narrative. Yeah. And that's what's really worrying. Mm. And, you know, I am no fan of Nadine Doris. I really am no fan mm. of hers at all. But it, I think she's going to take the BBC to task. Yeah, and, I and I think, think it's think, about time. Well, it is about time. Because there was a big row yesterday because Nick Robinson um, told, yes. more or less told the Prime Minister so to rude. stop talking. He was so Who do they think they are, these people? Well, you know, I think they kind of all come from this privileged bubble and they just think that they are better than yeah. than the common people. That they they just want us to do as we're told. Mm. I, 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 that's not in my nature. I'm afraid I, it's, not, it's not in mine either. <laughs> No, it's you know, not. Somebody and gave me, one of the girls downstairs this morning said, oh, you should get one of these uh, wristbands for uh, cocktail week. And uh, I'm like, I'm not wearing a wristband. Well, yeah, but you can get cheap cocktails in all these different, I said, I'm not interested. Yeah. Because as soon as you give me something that I have to show, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, not I'm not doing it. I'm with you. I'm I'd rather pay twice as much, and maybe that's because I can, but that's not the point. No, you know, I just immediately bristle yeah. at anything that anybody says, you've got to show me that. I'm not showing it to you. No, and it's also that kind of feeling where everyone's everyone's going one way. I, mean, I suppose it is very British in one way. If there's a queue, you British join it. Yes. But because of it, I'm of Greek Cypriot yeah, origin, <laughs> we try and budge to the front or go the yeah. other way. Yeah. That's our natural No, listen, instinct. I will drive literally uh, 10 miles out of the way to avoid a traffic jam. Yeah. You I just can't, can't get in and, a queue. And I must tell you as well, I'm very proud of this, that all through the last week or so, um, I never once queued for petrol. Good man. I, I drove backwards and forwards to Sussex. I got petrol, but I never queued for it. Because well, I just did it the sensible way. Yeah, I mean, I, again, this is another. This is part of the fear propaganda that's been issued that people, uh, it's the, it's their psyche has been affected, and that's why people panic buy, um, and and this situation has has kind of put people back into that kind of anxiety feeling, and that's why they're getting into queue. So we had this conversation. I don't completely blame the public. I do blame the government mm. for what they've done to the people. Yes. Now, one of the things that you want to talk about that has happened to the people. Yes. Uh, is this sort of obesity time bomb, the diabetes? Yeah. Problem, problem in this in this country, it's, which a lot of which has has happened because of lockdown, right? A lot of it has been uh, uh, compounded by lockdown, mm. and the main thing is is that if this government or any of the political parties actually cared about health, about people dying, about the children, they would have looked at this 10 years ago, mm. not be putting it in the papers now. Can I read you some of the statistics Please. I've been reading? Just so I put my glasses on. Here we go. So at the moment, it's uh, the it's double diabetes. Type 2, now I'm talking about type 2 diabetes, which is very, very different to type 1. Type 1 is something you get normally as a child. Yeah. It, it's unavoidable. Um, and it's type, a much more treatable problem now, isn't it? It is a more treatable problem. But type 2 is absolutely lifestyle. It's the way we live. Mm. And it has doubled in the past 15 years. There are now 5.5 it's, it, it will be 5.5 million people in a decade will have type 2 diabetes. Uh, one in three, more than 17 million people will have type 2 diabetes by 2030. And right now, the NHS is spending 14 billion. Amazing. Like 14 billion. Can you imagine the good that money mm. could do oh, for the NHS for something that's co completely avoidable? And at the moment... This oh, what is are they spending that on then? What's, well, where is well, that going? For example, 185 amputations right. this year, 770 strokes because of type 2 diabetes, 590 heart attacks and 2,300 cases of heart failure mm. because of type 2 diabetes. Right. Now, the whole thing about this is that we have... 
the government, we, we, no one can say the F word. You know, you can't say you're fat because mm. that is uh, uh, aff offending someone, yeah. insulting someone, causing them uh, mental health issues. But I would rather someone came up to me and said, you know what, you're fat. Yeah. So if you don't lose some weight, mm. you're going to have one of these health issues. Yes. It's going to shorten your life. It's going to make your life less worth yes. living. I, I mean, I, my life, if I had to have an amputation because of type 2 diabetes, it, it would I mean, that's a pretty lessen bad the quality situation. of my life. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really simple things mm. that you can do to to show to people how to eat. And and the whole thing about all these kind of uh, charities coming out saying the government needs to take a grip and do all of this, to a certain extent, I, I do agree with that. I think the government should be showing the way, mm. showing people how to cook, how to eat, how to stay healthy, how to stay fit, how to avoid type 2 diabetes. And if you are overweight and you need to lose it, show, showing you ways to do it. Because that health pyramid that the world health out about having all those carbohydrates yeah. at the bottom i mean that's now proved completely wrong you need to tip that yes. on its head it's wrong i'm slightly unsure though of whether you want to give the government that kind no, of that's what um, I'm power you I know agree. over you because i mean i was seeing yet another one of these stories about all oh, drinking a glass of wine a day is good for you i mean you could literally change that story every day no i agree um, um, and I, I i i mean i agree something needs to be done about it i'm thinking it should be in school or something absolutely I? it should be it, it should it starts at grassroots it starts in schools it starts in families but my point is is the government you know are wasting money left right and center mm. on you know how I feel about the whole COVID thing. COVID passes, COVID tests, testing children, vaccinating children. All yeah. this money is wasted. It's not about health. Mm. If you want to help the health of this nation, if you want to help the health of Britain, then you need to give cookery lessons from school, yeah. teach how to cook from scratch afford right. affordably, um, teach people how to keep themselves busy and exercise and show them. Because we've, we've changed the way we see things. If you look at people in the 1970s and the 1980s, yeah. just on telly, on a sitcom, for example, yes. everyone was very slim. Everyone was a lot slimmer than now. Really? I mean, you look at them and think, gosh, they're skinny almost, yeah. you know, really thin. And now... There wasn't much food, I seem to remember. I just, I just think there wasn't, there wasn't the processed food and uh, there wasn't the snacks. There, 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 there wasn't, wasn't the fast food either. Exactly. I remember when the first McDonald's opened at Finchley Road in yes. North London, yeah. um, in the Swiss Cottage, right? And it was very exciting. I yeah. mean, I think I was about, I don't know, 14 or 15 or something. And yeah. of course, it was like a massive thing because we'd never had anything like no, that. No, absolutely. I remember my dad taking us, uh, he took us to Holloway, actually. There was one yeah. in Holloway. Right. And uh, we, we got a Big Mac and a milkshake. And um, my brother and I were so sick. We felt so really? unwell after eating this, <laughs> you know, this Big Mac yeah. and the milkshake, which right. is just laid. And we were both really unwell right. after. So it wasn't something that we rushed back to, but it was right. exciting to go there. Sure. And so all of these We've, we've, we've been given a lot of misinformation. Something, for example, like the fortifying of foods, mm. Mike. So you're fortifying foods that have zero nutrition. And that's what really worries me. The government have taken that over, yeah. which I don't agree with at all, and fortifying non-wholemeal bread. So we're talking about white bread that mm. is absolute rubbish. So when you say fortified, with what, though? Folic acid now. Okay. They're adding folic acid. And why are they doing that? Uh, because to help uh, pregnant women and people that fall pregnant um, to prevent um, childhood illnesses. See, I'm womb. not very happy about things I'm like not, that. I'm not. But also, it gives a halo effect yeah. to foods that have no nutritional value. Mm. What they should be doing is educating people. Yeah. If you're going to ha if you're going to about to fall pregnant or you think you're going to have a baby or you've just fallen pregnant, this is what you should be doing. Yes. This is what you should be eating right. in the holistic way, not fortifying no. things. In, that you don't know exactly a bit like sort of um, you know people are still sold, sold into um, disbelief about this business of no added sugar you know oh, oh it's really good because it's got no added sugar and you go think about what that says yeah it doesn't say it doesn't have any sugar it says there's nothing added 
Yeah. Which doesn't mean there's nothing added. It means there's nothing added apart from the sugar they added before. Absolutely. But right? also the, the kind of fake sugars, they yeah. just, they just, they have been proved absolutely not to work. What happens is they make you crave the sugar and you will make it up somewhere else. Every, I mean, you know the situation. You, ha you see these people eating all these terrible foods and then they've got a zero fizzy drink. Right. And they think, oh, you know. And you just think, what are you doing? I know. What are you doing mm. there? Just eat well. And the thing is, you I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. goes, oh, but it's not tasty. I say, what's not tasty? Mm. Oh, well, I like takeaway. It's tastier. I just, it, it just made me so sad that this person couldn't understand that at home, mm. cooking from scratch, they could cook the most tasty meal they've yeah. ever eaten. Do you know, I made the greatest tasting curry I've ever made. So you're a last. good cook, I aren't am. you, Mike? Yeah. And, and I kind of, but I, but I just experiment with things. And I bought some um, tandoori um, powder from Borough Market mm. and made a tandoori um, yogurt sort of marinade and made tandoori chicken for the first time. It was really Amazing. good. Amazing. Delicious. It was really good. That's what I'm saying. And, but it's really good without all expensive. the additives, without the preservatives, right. without all the added bad stuff. Whereas you could there. buy tandoori paste in a jar, probably yes, made by Patek. but look at all Patek's. the neat E numbers on But there. I bet you that would be really horrible yeah. and unhealthy. Full Nothing of against e Patek, sorry. No. But, you know, no, but I'm not, I don't buy that stuff. No, but the real point of this is that, you know, we're talking about type 2 diabetes and we're talking about the adults that have it now, mm. costing the, the NHS £14 billion pounds now. Yeah. But you and I know, and we've talked about this, is that we are seeing children now fatter and fatter. I and saw some children go to obese. school this morning who were massive. I mean, really massive. Obese. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what that, that will shorten their life? Yeah. Greatly. I mean, greatly. Not even a little amount. We're not talking about a couple of years now. Mm. It shortens their life greatly. It, sh it, it affects the quality of their lives. And it starts with the parents mm. at home. And I think that's where, if, you, if the government wants to spend money allegedly looking after the nation's health, yeah. let's just forget COVID. It's a flu. Yeah. Let's move on. Yes. And all that money, all that money that they've just poured down the drain on, the advertising and the tests and all Which of that. Which they've been busy this week telling us we're going to have to pay back. As Outrageous. if it's our fault. I did not right? agree to paying no. this money out. I no. don't agree with what they did, so why should I pay it exactly. back? Exactly. You know, but I, don't worry, you'll be taxed more oh, in well, order to do so. Absolutely, I agree with that. But if they put that money into educating people, like, as you said, start with the schools, but also, you know, do something nice for, for working mums or uh, at-home mums, do free cookery lessons, have free gym memberships, that's where the money should mm. have gone. Yeah. Not on all this fear and propaganda and plastic But tests. has it gone too far now? Because can you get it back, I suppose, you can. is what I'm you saying? Can, you can actually reverse type 2 diabetes you can but what i'm saying is there's so much stuff now on offer in supermarkets so much fast food around you know things like just eat and Deliveroo. it's so easy yeah. not to cook it's so it easy just to order in food it's expensive mind you if a lot of people do that it's really expensive i mean i don't do it so i'm not quite sure of the cost of mm. things but i really do feel that if we had a, a campaign and so so not telling you what to do but the same kind of campaign that went out to make people stop you know going out and hugging their family and seeing people the whole yeah. covid campaign. if we had a campaign of education for nutrition yeah. that would work because then people would think oh hang on a minute let me have a think about this do i want to spend this on takeaway or can i make it like yeah. this because it's being reinforced constantly and it will work and that's people. worthwhile and also be sensible you know just say to people you can't you know, i'm not saying don't ever have a hamburger 
from a fast food outfit just don't have one very often. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's an 80-20, 80%, 80%, 80%. If you if And also, if you do that 80%, 20% thing, you really enjoy the naughty stuff mm. more. Because, you know, like I said, if, I, if I'm if i being really careful, watch what I've eaten, exercise, done everything, on that Sunday that I have the chocolate cake that I've made, and gosh, my chocolate cake is the most lush, rich chocolate I've cake on earth. I've seen some of the stuff you make on Instagram <laughs> and it's literally amazing. Uh, so if I have that chocolate cake, it tastes so much better on the Sunday than mm. if I had it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yeah. and Saturday, Sunday. I also saw your little trick with the clams the other day because oh, uh, I'd never knew about that because I'm a big fan of spaghetti vongole, right? Oh. And I'll pop over to the borough market and get some clams. And they always like, laugh at me because I say, I only really want 12. <laughs> and they're like, why? I said, I'm cooking just for myself. I just I don't need loads of clams. Um, but I love the idea you put them in the pan. Yeah. And if you see if they if they if yes. they don't open, if they don't open, then you then don't don't mm. be touching those. They're right. not good for you. Don't feed them. Because I used to way. sort of put them in a you know a bowl of cold water or something, which doesn't really do anything. No, it? it doesn't do anything. You've literally you've got to wash them and then they'll yeah. shut. So those that don't shut when it's cold water, yes. throw away. Right. And those that don't open once you've cooked them, throw yeah. them away. It's lovely. I love it. Uh, now let's talk quickly um, yes. about uh, business as well, because I've been listening to Boris Johnson. He's talking about raising the minimum wage. You're in the restaurant business. Yeah. A lot of people. People presumably yeah. working on that kind of level. Yeah. Um, for for restaurants and for the hospitality business in general, yes, it would be nice to pay people more money, but it will put prices up, won't it? It will put prices up. We um, at the Real Greek they have raised their wages right. in order to get staff. We've had to do that, and and I, I agree with that actually. Mm. But if it gets too high, then it has to topple over to the customer. You can't have businesses functioning without profit. No. Otherwise, why would they bother? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's hard enough as it is. Right. So it will then be passed on to the customer. Mm. So. And VAT's a, now and gone VNT's up again. And VAT's gone it? up, and yeah. there is a balancing act to be had. Um, and this whole thing about, you know, it's all because of Brexit, everybody went home because of Brexit, that's just not true. If no. you look all over Europe, they are having staffing issues, yes. they're having uh, product issues. It's going on all over the world, mm. and it is a lockdown issue. Yeah. So stop everyone you speak to, oh, Brexit. Well, but it wasn't. And, right. and or somebody was saying the other day that they um, went into their restaurant and the wine that they chose had doubled in price. And, you know, the maitre d' said, well, I'm sorry, it's Brexit. He goes, but this one's from Chile. How can Brexit have affected it? <laughs> yeah, really. It's just, mad. it's gone too far. But we, But we have to have that lovely balance that we can give people decent wages, but still offer competitive prices yeah. to the consumer. Absolutely right. We're out of time again, Tony. Always. Again, we've never we never quite get to everything we want to get to, but we will. You'll be back next week, Tony. Thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I was saying earlier this morning that there seems to be a new conservatism abroad. It seems as though Boris Johnson uh, is pushing this new kind of, you know, slightly more independent thinking uh, so that people do not believe that they have to rely on the government for absolutely everything. I mean, not everyone agrees, of course. Mr Linton uh, has tweeted me to say, so Boris can't fix everything, but they spent the last 18 months making life worse. They can't have it both ways. Well, that, of course, is a pretty uh, reasonable thing to say. Uh, But I think the idea, certainly for most people who think like a conservative does, um, the government isn't there to, to save everything for you. The government isn't there to help you move house. The government isn't there uh, to help you put your child into a school. The government necessarily may not even be there uh, to put your elderly relatives into care. And this morning uh, we were talking about Sajid Javid's speech yesterday because he basically said the same thing, that, you know, the government should not always be the first port of call. Perhaps it should begin with the family. Let's talk now to Dame Esther Ransom, founder of Silverline, uh, which is a, a national confidential and free helpline for older people. She's been campaigning uh, on social care for quite some time. Dame Esther, a very good afternoon to you. 
Hello, Mike. Thanks very much again for joining us. I think Sajid Javid has a point here, doesn't he? That, um, you know, a lot of other countries treat their elderly relatives very differently to the way that we do. Well, I think given the choice, all of us would like to grow up in happy, secure families. And as we get older, be surrounded by children and grandchildren who, as we get more frail, will provide us with the support we need. And it may be that we go to live with them. That sometimes works in some families. I think my late husband and my late mother would have murdered each other had they had to live <laughs> in close proximity. It doesn't work for every family, but we saw her all the time. I spoke to her every day mm. and I that she knew how important she was in my life. But I, I have a friend who I've never met, who uh, I only know because she um, wrote to me about how important Silverline was. And uh, she nursed her husband for six years until he died. She had carers who helped her because she said it got to the stage when it was a matter of chance whether she or her husband fell over first in the shower. Mm. She's 90 and she suffers from extreme agoraphobia. She never, ever goes out. Um, and she has outlived all but one of her family. They were a small family to begin with. And she has one um, child who who is still alive. Um, uh, she lost one of her children. And um, if she didn't have carers night and morning, um, who would be there to support her? Mm. She says she's quite disabled. As I said, I've never met her. I, I speak to her once a week. And apart from her one child and me, and the warden of her development, which is uh, for older people, she doesn't talk to anyone. Now, since November 2018, she has had 67 different carers. Mm. She never knows when they're going to come. She never knows who's going to come. She gets up at 6.30 every morning because they tell her they will be with her between 7 and 9. And sometimes they're not with her until 9.30. So what do we do, Mike? What do we do as people? She's a lady who has contributed so much mm. during her life. She's very intelligent. She's great company over the phone. I love my conversations with her. What do we do? And what would be the situation, for example, if she wanted to or if it was suggested that she went into a care home? Well, she's put herself on a waiting list mm. of um, supported living. I think there are some very good new developments which start off with you getting a flat or maybe a little house which in which you live completely independently. But if you do become more frail, you can move into other properties in the same development where the staff that you have got to know because they work around the place and they provide more care for you. And that works very well. But I remember when I was possibly the least successful independent candidate in the whole general election <laughs> of 2010, one of the invitations I had was to go and visit a care home for older people. And one of the staff sat next to me and said, Esther, it's really sad for us that we're always regarded as the last resort because we are providing proper food, activities, 
company and somewhere safe for people who would really be at severe risk if they were still living in their own homes. And yet people think of care homes only as the last resort. Yes. And the trouble is, I suppose there's so many differences in each care home, depending on who's running them as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to a care home where her mother was looked after in uh, the Midlands, mm. which they describe as a, um, a cruise ship on land because it's got all those things. It's got fabulous food. Um, I've spoken to the owner and he was very careful during COVID. He didn't accept people who local hospitals tried to get him to take on because they hadn't been tested mm. he doesn't have any agency staff so they weren't going from place to place taking infections with them so he managed to keep covid out of his care home now we don't hear those wonderful stories do we no because they don't hit the headlines no that's the problem but i mean looking at some of the um the, the tory policy um, in the Telegraph this morning, supposedly this new kind of cap that's coming in, so you'll never have to pay more than £86,000 for social care, isn't even going to come in until October of 2023. So it's a couple of years away, basically. Yes. Um, it is sad, isn't it, how looking after older people is so far down the national agenda. Um, and I really don't know, Mike, why it is. Why mm. is it? If you have a look, when we um, we joined, uh, we, we had real problems on the Silver Line trying to get funding um, because it didn't appeal to the public compassion in the way looking after cats and dogs sometimes does. Anyway, I had a look at the most popular charities in Britain, and you won't find one working with older people in the top 10, mm. the top 20, or the top 30, or the top 40. Age wow. UK comes at 46. That's amazing. Mm. And why do you think that is then? Do you think we just don't care? Well, I think we there's, don't a care certain, enough. there's a certain amount of dread in it. We don't want to think that we're going to be like that one day. We're going to be disabled. We're going to not have a job. We're going to perhaps not get out and about, not drive our own car. You know, there's a there's a certain amount of loss um, associated with older people. Then there's the famous phrase, well, you've had a good run. You see, I'm 81, so I've had a, a very good run. Yes. So if I drop off my perch, Immediately, I've spoken to you, but not before, Mike. Certainly not. Uh, certainly not. Um, people will say, well, she had a good run, weren't they? Well, my mother's 97. Um, so you've got quite a good uh, long run to have as well, I would say. Well, there you are. That's very. That's a very clever decision of yours to pick her as your parent. You know, <laughs> genetics very important. Well, I think so. Um, and she is still in pretty good shape. She actually lives in America um, with my sister, who's just come to visit me today. And I'm going to go visit them at Christmas time because I haven't been able to see her for two years, which is a bit frustrating. Um, but she is not in a home. She's got her own accommodation where she gets looked after and she gets visited by people. But, but happily, she's quite healthy. Um, but not everybody has that. And the dementia side of things is a really difficult problem, isn't it? Well, I think it's what we all dread more than anything else, probably, don't you think? Yes. But, um, uh, I think most of us can put up with the prospect of losing physical strength. Obviously, nobody wants to do that. Mm. 
But the idea of losing our personality, you know, losing who we really are, yeah. losing our capacity to think for ourselves is the most frightening, I think. Yeah. And I think that um, if we can find a treatment, they do, sometimes there are green shoots, aren't mm. they? People tell us that there is something on the horizon that may help us cure and prevent dementia. And that will be such, that will make a difference, mm. not only to older people themselves, but the way we think of older people and the way that we think of old age, because I think we dread it mm. at the moment. Yes, I think. And is there a better model um, than the one that we currently have in terms of private sort of care homes? Because, you know, some care homes will take elderly people if they haven't got any money because the council will pay for that. Other people will have to pay for their own if they have houses or they have money. But I mean, a lot of these care homes make an awful lot of profit as well. Uh, Yes. Um, uh, While at the same time, the people who work in them, the, the actual care deliverers get very often get paid very little and you know I was talking to one of our Childline supervisors a fantastic woman who joined Childline because she had a most terrible childhood and Childline was there for her and she said the first kind of care she went into was looking after older people and she absolutely loved it but she got into terrible trouble because she was only supposed to be there for 10 minutes for each visit Mm. But the first thing the older person will say is, can I make you a cup of tea? Shall we have a cup of tea together? Shall we have a little talk together? And she would sometimes stay there an hour because she knew what they most needed was human contact and conversation. Yes. So I think that what we need to do is up the status of the people who work in care homes or work in domiciliary care, looking after older people in their own homes. But first of all, of course, we've got to value the older people themselves. Yes, I think that's where it all begins. Well, Dame Esther, lovely to talk to you again. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll speak, I'm sure, again uh, very soon. Dame Esther Ranson, founder of Silver Line, there, saying some very sensible things about care homes and the care home business and the care home problem that we have in this country, um, which we will definitely explore a little bit more, I think, because we haven't got a lot of time to do it in this particular show. But we will revisit it because Sajid Javid says... Care should begin at home, particularly social care. And I think he's got a point, but it ain't that easy, is it? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.